Praise God. Thank you, Kevin. Good to be in the house again. Last time I was here, I was April and I was speaking, and I was trying to speak and look at cameras the whole time, and that is difficult. But to look out and see faces is beautiful, beautiful. So uh, praise God for what he's doing. Let me get my stuff situated here. Got notes. Got notes. I... All right. Oh, I know. All right. Yes, we're continuing on with this series of the kingdom. And I tell you what, if you missed last week's message, go back and check it out, please. This is a crucial uh, series, I, I believe. Very important series for the people of God, for Christ's followers, to understand what this is all about, the kingdom of God and our role in it. Uh, so check that out. Uh, I'm going to continue today in that series. Uh, I'm going to be using a lot of scripture from the constitution of our kingdom that Kevin talked about last week. So there's going to be a lot of scripture that we'll be diving into today. Um, and we will get to prayer and standing and reading in just a minute. Uh, but uh, I'll just start by saying words are important. Words are important, and uh, my wife, Nacelle, and my kids, is that me? I'm not, or maybe it is. It's my beard. I wish. <laughs> Would if I could. But uh, my, my wife, Nacelle, and my kids, Nora and Roth, we have grown to love words. Uh, I was not that way as uh, just a few years ago. Um, but we play games like we try to figure out where words come from or what they mean. And like, without looking up, let's try to find out what this word means. Uh, and in the context of the kingdom, words are really important for us to get a deeper understanding of what they mean. Oh, oh it was already up there. Thank you. Uh, so we'll be digging into this word today, reconciliation, a really important word to understand, again, when we're looking at the context of the kingdom of God. Uh, words are pretty cool because some of them will kind of tip you off on what they mean. If you kind of parse them apart a little bit, break them up, it's a fun game that we play too at home. Um, but this word, reconciliation, if we just start, I want to define it before we get into the series, to the sermon, but just look at the first two letters. Re. We have a lot of words in our English language that start with re. Renew. Revitalize. There's a ton of them. It just means, again, back. Back or again, okay? My Spanish-speaking friends, the next three letters. Con. With. All right, with. So now we're getting a, another, a more of a picture of what this word means. Thank you. I know what you're doing. I know you're not just going to come up and tackle me or something. You're going <laughs> to... Security. How can I, I can't use my hands. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Uh, okay. So, yeah, cone, with. So now we have back with. Okay, so a repairing of relationships, going back to where it was before, making good again, okay? 
we need to understand this word because I'm going to be saying it a whole lot. Repairing relationships to back to where they were again. Uh, an opposite or a loose opposite might be disconnected, not with. Okay? And we see as we get into this beautiful story of what Christ did to reconcile, to get us back together again, is just gorgeous. Um, so I've, I've broken this message down into three different parts for those that like to take notes and, or have it in their head. The first section is going to be uh, reconciliation amongst brothers and sisters in the body of Christ in the kingdom of God. Second section will be what God did to reconcile the world, mankind to himself. And then the third section will be, um, what is the third section? It's going to be our part in this reconciling story in the kingdom of, as ministers of reconciliation. Okay, so we're going to get into that. We'll spend most of the time in that middle section. So here we go. Let's pray together, and then we'll stand and read his word. Ooh, Holy Spirit, thank you so much for your presence. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power that's in your word. Thank you for what you did on the cross, Jesus, to fix the relationship between us and you, to reconcile all of us to you, God. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you teach us today that we learn something more about, about you, that you, that you reveal stuff to us today, God, that makes an impact on us, makes an impact for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to read uh, together from uh, Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount uh, about some reconciliation stuff. So would you all stand together and let's read from Matthew 5, 21 through 24. Here we go. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. You may be seated or you may leave if you have to take care of some of this business that we just read about. <laughs> that would be okay, <laughs> if that's why you're leaving. Um, we serve a God that is a God of relationships. Relationships are really important to God. In John 17, one of my favorite sections of Scripture, John, uh, Jesus is talking to the Father. And he says, the world will know, this is so powerful, the world will know that you sent me by the love they have for one another. Mm. He said, and he goes on to say, I pray that they are one like we are one. Unity amongst the brothers and sisters of Christ is very, very important. Let me give you another verse uh, to uh, drive this home a little bit more. 1 John 4, 19 through 21. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. 
Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. He's saying if you're coming to the temple, if you're coming to church and bringing your sacrifice, your sacrifice of praise, your sacrifice of your offering, and you have something against somebody, you hate somebody, that that raka word that we read earlier is like you're just calling them a fool or empty-headed. If if you're coming here saying, I love you, God, you're my Lord and my Savior, I'm following you, but I have some significant issues with some people in the body of Christ, we're missing the point. Relationships matter. He says, take care of that stuff. Reconcile those relationships. Make sense? All right. Let's scoot on. I believe it's... We can understand how to best fix relationships amongst the body of Christ when we get a better understanding of just how much God did for us to reconcile us to himself. When we realize how much we did to fix the issue, nothing. When we understand how much God loved us to send his son to die for for me, for you, how messed up we are and he loves us, when we start to understand that more and more and more, the, the relationships here should be just easy. Yes, I've, when we understand how much he's forgiven you, how much he's forgiven me, yeah, I can forgive you for that, for crying out loud, look how much I've been forgiven of. So let's go to the second section of this message today, reconciled to God, God reconciling mankind to himself. Why do we need to be reconciled to God? We gotta ask that, I guess, right? I think Kevin spoke on it last week, briefly, last week, maybe the week before. This beautiful book starts off so gorgeous where Adam and Eve are walking and talking with God in his presence, perfect. And just a couple pages in, they make a bad decision. Disobedience comes in, and that disobedience disconnected us from God. We're not with him. God is, there's a big, huge gap that we just, we can't, nothing we can do could fix this problem. A big, big gap. And the rest, a big chunk of the Bible is God, after the fall, working to redeem the people back to himself, working to woo them back to him. And it culminates in Jesus Christ, which we'll get to here, like right now. Colossians 1, 19 through 23. I'll pause a little bit along the way as we go. For God was pleased, this first sentence can be a little confusing. For God was pleased to have all his fullness, all God's fullness, dwell in him, dwell in Christ. Christ, fullness of God. And through him, through Christ, to reconcile to himself, God the Father, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. We could stop for just a minute and just think about that last little part. Can you imagine? For some of us, it might be hard to imagine being Christ followers for a while, to imagine being alienated from God. Alienated, meaning a stranger or a foreigner, of, of God. Can you imagine that right now? That you say, God, but I, 
I need a little help. I need a little, I need some encouragement. I need some direction. And God basically would say, I'm sorry, I don't know you. I love scripture because this is the next verse. I love scripture that starts with, but now. But now God. God comes in and fixes this alienation stuff. It says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you. Hang on. I hope you wore tight socks today because this verse here could knock your socks off. If you got the loose ones like I have on, just pull them up maybe a little bit and hold on. I don't want us to gloss over a scripture like this because this is so powerful and beautiful through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's you. Because of what Christ did. Right now, if you are in Christ, right now God looks at you and says, you are without blemish. You're in perfect state. You are complete because of what Jesus did. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that gorgeous? If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel and this good news message, if you stay rooted in him, stay connected, the vine and the branch, stay connected to Jesus, and God will continue to look at you as the righteousness of God. That's gorgeous. I know what I've done. I know the thoughts I've had recently. I've acted on stupid thoughts. But this says, if I'm connected with God through Jesus, I'm looked at as blameless. Where am I? Let's go on to some, another section. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. For Christ's love compels us. We'll get back to that in a second. Because we are convinced that one, Jesus died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Christ's love compels us. Are we compelled? I I have to ask myself that. And if you're like me, there's times where you go, I don't know, God, I'm not compelled. I'm not compelled to love my neighbor. I'm not compelled to be generous. I'm not compelled to forgive. Well, what is it that compels us? Christ's love. Could it be when we're not feeling compelled is that we've forgotten, we've gotten callous to it, it's become old news where we never had a great understanding of what Christ's love really is. Um, Chuck Smith puts it this way when Paul talks about the love of Christ, and, and this, of course, is Paul in 2 Corinthians. Whenever Paul talked of the love of Christ, he was thinking of one thing, the cross of Jesus Christ. So often I'll go, yes, God, you love me because I have a beautiful family I have a house, I have clothes, job. Yes, those are great things, great blessings. But the love that Paul is talking about, Christ's love that compels us, 
always points back to the cross and what happened on the cross and what God did by sending his son. The only way God has ever sought to show or to prove that he loved you was by sending his son to die for your sins. And whenever God wants to declare his love for you, he always declares it through the cross. 1 John 4.10, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the satisfactory substitute for our sins. The good thing is we can ask the Holy Spirit to say, you can be honest with him. Holy Spirit, I want to be compelled. I want to understand more about your love for me, Jesus. Sometimes I just don't get it. That's okay. He hears those prayers. Lord, I want to be compelled. I want to be compelled to love you. I want to understand your love for me that was shown on the cross more and more. Okay, moving on to 2 Corinthians. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Beautiful section of scripture. I don't have a ton of time to break this apart, but I, I want to tell a little story that helped in my mind. I got to go on a fly fishing trip uh, just a few weeks ago to Cotter, Arkansas on the White River, one of the best trout fisheries in the, in the United States. I had no idea it was just the next state over. Um, went with a friend of mine and some of his friends. And I got to know a guy on the trip named Brent. And we were chatting one evening and he was telling me about his family. And uh, getting to, just getting to know him, he said he and his wife have five kids. Three of them were adopted from China. And I don't remember the ages of the other two, but one just stuck out to me. He said, our son was adopted when he was 13 years old. And I thought, man, that comes with challenges, like on both sides. That's, I'm selfish. That's, I don't know if I could do that. Woo. And he went on to tell me about his son, 13 years in an orphanage in China. Not a pretty orphanage, an orphanage where all he ate for the most part for 13 years was rice soup. Very little nutrition. Their son is a lot smaller than most people his age, kids his age, because he just didn't have very much nutrition to eat growing up. He had some physical deficits. He had clubbed feet and he, had, he crawled on his bottom, on, on his legs to get around. He didn't know how to play with other kids. They didn't have toys, he said. We had to teach them how to play at 13. We had to get him toys to play with because he never experienced playing with toys. And then they're teaching him now the English language. They've taught him how to walk upright. It's, it's gorgeous to, to see what he, this young man has gone through. He's part of a family now. Most importantly, he has a mom and a dad that love him and see him as something special and worthy of love. And I thought, what a picture of the old passing away and the new coming. Part of an old kingdom. Now, part of the kingdom of God, a citizen of the kingdom of God. And yes, just like that young man, we, we can learn how to walk uprightly, strengthened by other brothers and sisters in the faith, Strengthened by his word that has so much nutrients in it, 
to strengthen our soul and strengthen our bones. Learn how to, like we talked about at the beginning of this message, how to get along with one another, to reconcile relationships. But I think even more importantly than all that, the new stuff that comes as being in the kingdom of God is that we're part of a family of God. The God of the whole universe loves you, cares for you, and now doesn't call you, uh, what is it, a, a foreigner. He calls you his child. New things. He sees you as something new. He sees you as righteous. He sees you as without blemish and perfect. New creation. And part of that new creation is us going, yes, and now I'm going to live a different way. I'm going to die to myself and live for you. Old things passing away. New things coming. Let's carry on with the scripture. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We'll get to that. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. There it is again. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, Christ's representatives. We represent the king of the kingdom, And if we represent the king of the kingdom as his ambassadors, we kind of have to figure out how the king rolls, how he functions, how the kingdom functions. That's why I think this series is so important. If we are ambassadors, representatives, we need to know what we're representing. As though God were making his appeal through us. Paul says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This can be a little confusing, so I want to clear something up. You see, Paul says, I, we implore you, I, I beseech thee, be reconciled to God. Didn't he just say we are already reconciled to God? Why does he say now, be reconciled to God? And I thought I'd use a little illustration. This is Springhouse, and we like water illustrations at Springhouse. So if we could just picture a river coming right down the center of this auditorium, beautiful river, Wade, there's no trout in it, so don't try to fish for it. Wade's my fly fishing buddy. There's a river coming down here, and it splits, goes this way and that way. It's a beautiful flowing river. The river is called Reconciliation River. And all of us and all of mankind is out on the banks on dry land. And Paul says, we have the option, we have the choice to jump into the river. The river, the work has been done by Jesus Christ already. We've been reconciled, but we have the opportunity, the option to accept that and jump in. Are we going to jump in and enjoy the fruits of his reconciliation? Are, Are we diving in, going deep, in over my head, I want to be? Caught in the rush, lost in the flow, in over my head, I want to go. The river's deep, the river's wide, the river's water is alive. So sink or swim, I'm diving in. I have a hard time doing a message without a Stephen Curtis Chapman reference. (laughs) He's done a lot for me, he doesn't know it. (laughs) Okay. 
I also love some Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was a, a teacher, preacher in the 1800s, and he has to say this here about reconciliation. What is the object of true gospel ministry? It is that men should be reconciled to God. He paints a picture here that some of you might have heard this story before, but I think it's worth repeating to get a good understanding of what this reconciling stuff is all about. You are in debt. You owe a great sum that you can never pay. But the person to whom you owe it to turns to his account book and says, I have nothing recorded against you. Aren't you delighted that it's so? But I'm in your debt, you say. I have nothing recorded against you. But it must be recorded somewhere, you say. That man has recorded my debt to the account of someone else. That is exactly the case with your sin. Read the last verse of the chapter and you will get the explanation, which we read a little bit ago. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Jesus willingly undertook to stand in the sinner's place. And if you accept the reconciliation, jump into the river that he has made. Your debts are recorded under his name, under Christ's name. And through them all is drawn the red mark of his atoning sacrifice, blotted out as thick as a cloud, blotted out your sins. And I know we can still say, but I've I've really, really messed up. Like recently again, I I messed up. I got to do something to pay off this debt. Spurgeon goes on to say this, if God is satisfied with the sacrifice, shouldn't we be? (laughs) If God is content with the work of Christ, I should be too. It is to him that the debt was due. And if he says it's discharged, so be it. This is the God of all creation that set this whole sacrificial system stuff in place. And if he says that it's discharged, that that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was perfect and good, then we should think that too and understand and accept that. All right, moving on to our last little section as ministers of reconciliation that we read before in 2 Corinthians 5.19, which I'll repeat one more time that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Spurgeon says this, the work of reconciliation was committed to his son, Jesus Christ. The work of reconciliation was committed to his son, Jesus Christ. The word of reconciliation has been committed to us. We have a unique role to play in all this. Let me explain a little bit more as we close up here. Paul says in Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. All nature, the mountains, the sun, the moon, the stars, the rain, the birds of the air, the animals of the field, our bodies, the systems, they all point to a creator, a God. 
But we have a unique role to say, yes, nature all points to God. And you know what? We can be in relationship to that God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We are ministers. A lot of times we think of ministers of just being the people that are up front, maybe wearing a robe or whatever. If you're in Christ, let me tell you, you are a minister of reconciliation. You, we get to tell others. We get to be examples to others of this reconciling work. It's simple. There was a disconnect. It's been fixed by Jesus Christ. And one of my favorite parts of our service, you guys can all come out, is we get to celebrate this reconciling act together as a church body. That his body was broken for us, that we would be made whole. He took on the sin of all humanity, all. He who knew no sin became, became sin. I don't know what that even looks like, feels like to Jesus. He became sin. He took it all on him. And that's what we get to celebrate that right now, if you're in Christ, God the Father looks at his right hand and sees Jesus and says, yes, that sacrifice was perfect. And because of that, I see you as my children, perfect, without blemish, without spot, righteous.